Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 3. That's where we've been kind of working our way through this uh, chapter here, and it's been some great stuff through it. And as I told you when we started Proverbs that we were going to take our time and we were going to do it the way we needed to do it and lay it out uh, in fashion that you'd get everything out of it. And uh, not only for you here, but down through future reference that people will have the ability to grasp uh, some things out of the Word of God. And uh, last week we started at chapter 3, and we looked at verses 13 through 20. Uh, and uh, in particular, we, uh, we saw wisdom and understanding uh, pictured in the Bible as silver and fine gold. We know now that that represents for us uh, the aspect of God's uh, wisdom uh, through His redemption, uh, the silver, and in His deity, uh, the fact that He came down and died for you and for me. We talked about the aspect of the true riches, which are really found in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, uh, versus the false counterfeit that we call fool's gold today that the world offers. Because we've been talking about the aspect of merchandise and how to use, uh, uh, that, and we talked about how to use that word and why God uses it to illustrate it. We talked about it Thursday night, and uh, I think it's been incredible how that <clears throat> the questions on Thursday night have all uh, stem from something that we've said on Sunday before, but they all lead into where we're going and really help re- define things even better and then bring it on through till, till today. But we looked at the concept of the word merchandise, how that we take the things that God gave us, and we talked about how that when you got saved, God gave you a measure of faith and a measure of grace. And then you take that and then you invest them. And then you, throughout your life, you do something with those two things. And we, I gave you one of the single greatest principles that you find in the Bible anywhere, and it's certainly a great one in life because it literally will make you or break you. And that is that everything in life is a trade-off. If God's people could just get that one simple little concept squared away in their mind, <clears throat> if your children could get that concept, if you could get it to them, if you could get it, if I could get it across to this church or any pastor to any church, that everything in life is a trade-off. In everything we do, we simply will give up one thing for another. And you simply can't have, in the the biblical sense, you certainly can't have God in the world other than in your own mind. (laughs) And there's a lot of people that in their mind they think they can. But you'll always trade one for the other, and you certainly can't have both. Amos 3.3 is a great verse that says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Of course, the answer to that is you can't. You can't. You take your life and you invest it one way or the other. And I gave you a great story in Luke chapter 19 about uh, the uh, guys that that the Lord gave a pound to. And then he goes away and they're supposed to invest that pound and bring a return when he comes back. One guy brought back tenfold, one guy brought back five, the other guy did nothing with it. And I showed you how that's a great picture in a spiritual sense of what God has given to us. He's always given us the same thing. Nobody gets more of God the moment you get saved than somebody else does. But it's what you do with it from that point on. And now we know and understand that the greatest result of getting God's wisdom and understanding is that it gives us the ability to make good trades, good choices. It gives us the ability to look in life and see something uh, uh, when God is in it or when He is not. And that's really the key. The thing that will always get us in trouble is taking areas of our life and investing him in something that God has nothing to do with. 
And uh, uh, the ability of having wisdom and understanding is, is the great result of having that ability to see when something is of God and when it's not. I, I've told you this many, many times, and most of you probably understand this, that the devil's main attack today, the devil's main attack today is, will be, always has been twofold. He counterfeits and then he deceives. And there can be no deception in somebody's life unless somebody counterfeits something. And the reason why people counterfeit something is so they can pull off a deception. The two go hand in hand. And uh, by, by these two, he'll take uh, uh, an unsaved man and he'll, he'll buy counterfeiting and deception. He'll, he'll damn that man's soul to hell. But he'll take God's people and through the same two aspects, he will, he will, he will take in their life a counterfeit and a deception and he'll bring them back from a, to a neutral status where they, they never really accomplish all that God has for them. And then through the deception and the counterfeit, they'll make bad choices. They'll make bad decisions. They'll make bad investments. And their life is virtually over as far as doing anything, anything for God. And that's why it's so important. Having God's wisdom and understanding will always be what you use to make your investments by, to make your trades in life. You know, I told you last week, a lot of things out there look good and they sound good. But when you take the Word of God and you, you look at those things, circumstances, people, and you x-ray them through the Word of God, the principles of God, that gives you the ability to see it for what it really is. Now, we make investments. God has given you something and you are to invest that. And yet God gives you the ability to have the inside to know if this is a good investment or not investment. In the stock market world, that's called in, in, insider trading. Uh, it's called uh, you, somebody getting uh, some secret knowledge about a stock or a company. <clears throat> somebody within the company calls them up and says, hey, we're going to do this and the stock's going to go up. You need to buy it. You're going to make a lot of money. Or somebody calls somebody and says, you need to dump whatever stock you got because we're going to do this and you're going to lose your shirt. Remember the Martha Stewart situation. That's what she was accused of doing. She insider trading. Somebody on the inside told her to sell her stock or would tell somebody to buy some stock. And in the real world, that's illegal. It's against the law. But in the Christian world, it's standing operational procedure for God. That's what God does. God wants to protect us in our investments. God wants to protect us, so he gives us insider information. He allows us to see things the way they really are, not as they appear. He allows us to see circumstances uh, without any deception and look through it. You know, counterfeit and deception, if you want to take it in a practical sense, for those of you people who work with people, you know, that's the same thing you see in, in, in people's lives when they stop wanting to do what's right with God. The first thing they'll do is, is put up a counterfeit. They'll still come to church. They'll still talk about God. They'll still, they counterfeit it. But it's all for a deception because deep down inside, they're not the same person they was with God uh, that they once were. Where once they loved the Word of God, nah, the Word of God don't mean as much to them anymore. Where once they, they always was about getting all that God had, now something else has taken its place. Most people just don't have the wherewithal to simply say, I'm done. They always play it out in a, in, a, in a counterfeit, and that counterfeit then leads to the next step that the devil always does, and that is a deception. 
and the deception comes in because they have an ulterior motive in what they do. And the goofy thing about it is, the thing that really uh, never ceases to amaze me, and I, I've been in scenarios like that all my life. I've seen people do that uh, to me and other pastors and religious scenarios all around my life. And it's always been an amazement to me how that, you know, they, they don't understand that the biblical principle, you can fake a lot of things in life, folks. You can. You can fake a lot of things in life, but you cannot fake being spiritual and loving God when you don't. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, if any man love God, the same is known of him. And you, you know, you, uh, you know I've, always, I've always thought cameramen at weddings were, were, were the funniest thing to ever see. At every wedding I've ever done, the cameraman, he, he will come up and he'll say, hi, I'm the photographer. Uh, where, would you, where would you like me to take your pictures? I just tell them, take them wherever you want. Some pastors are very inclusive. They think that the little area up there where you're all at is holy, you know, and you can't get into that. I take, go wherever you want. It's their wedding. They're paying for you to get some good pictures. Just don't get in my face and, and block what I'm doing or shoot your flashbulb off my eye so I can't see what I'm doing. Take whatever you want. But I've watched photographers, and it's the most hilarious thing in the world. There's 150 people at the wedding, okay? And the photographer is standing down there taking pictures. And, you know, they get them from the back. They get them from all angles. But when it, all, when it really starts, the photographer gets his camera, and now he, he tiptoes. Tiptoeing makes you invisible. <laughs> That's his mindset. <laughs> I want to say, hold on a minute, walk right. <laughs> <laughs> but the illusion is if he tiptoes, you can't see him. Isn't that the goofiest thing you ever saw? Well, the only thing goofier than that is a child of God who's using all the things when he's not where he used to be anymore and he's using counterfeit and deception and yet he's still pretending he loves God. He's just as apparent as the tiptoeing photographer. Amen. There's some things in life about God you can't hide. And, you know, it, 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 the thing that changes immediately is your spirit. And the Bible says that my spirit bears witness with your spirit. There's the problem. You can, you can say, you know, somebody's always happy and bubbly and then something changes and you go up and you say, you know, boy, it's a beautiful morning. And they look back and you say, how the blankety blank do you know what kind of good morning it is? Something's wrong. <laughs> but that's, that's, we have insider training to make our good investments. You know, and, and when you come on down through this and you see it, you know, right now we're in the introduction to the book, but we're, we've talked about the virtuous woman. We saw that. How that she is the end result of where we all want to get. And as we come through the book of Proverbs, I laid, out the, I laid out the whole program for you, the first part, the second part, but it's the final part. You know, I don't know how you like to read books. I always like to read the last chapter first. I can tell if the rest of the book is exciting or not by the last chapter. And, you know, and many times I thought about, I'd love to preach Proverbs 31 first before we ever do the rest of the book. It's not exciting to me. 
And of course, I, <clears throat> I'm not going to do that, but I, I, I really would like to do that. Because it's the virtuous woman in chapter 31 is the end result of where we all should be trying to get to. Everything else in the book is just a means to an end. And the means to an end is that we end up like the virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31. Right now we're in the introduction of it. We're getting the basics down of how to have a working relationship with God. <clears throat> and we'll build it as we go. Now, <clears throat> let's go back to the same text we were in last week. <clears throat> and uh, we'll read it again, but we're going to focus on uh, starting with verse 16 in our study today. But to put it all in context, let's, let's pick it up in verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of day, and this is where we pick it up today. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. Now, Father, help us to understand the great importance of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Lord, uh, we've kind of beat around the bush here uh, for the last couple of weeks talking about wisdom and understanding, and yet today uh, we, uh, we come down and see the, the fundamental concept that, that really we all have to understand today. In a lot of ways, that we'll, we'll go no farther with you. We'll no go farther in our relationship in the book of Proverbs if we don't grasp the concept that we're going to talk about today. So help us, Lord. We come to you as a needy people. We thank you for the good folks in this church, and I love them very much. And, uh, Lord, we just ask you now to bless us and give us all that we need. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. Now, the last time we ended at verse 15, <clears throat> and today we're going to look at verse 16. Here's what it says. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honor. Now, we're about to see probably one of the single greatest tremendous truths found anywhere in the Word of God in your own personal walk and building your relationship with God. It's the reason, or the underlying reason, why here at our church, our total emphasis is on the Bible. Most of you don't have much association with, um, with other churches, um, you know, you got saved out of the world, and probably m many of you, this is the only church uh, that you've ever been really associated with. Uh, some of you ha have come from other Baptist churches. Uh, but if you would investigate a little bit, and uh, if some of you uh, are of a, were at one time from a Presbyterian church, you go to the Presbyterian church, you'll find that the pulpit is on the side. They have a pulpit on this side and a pulpit of it on that side. When you go to a Lutheran church, you'll find the same thing. When you go to Episcopalian church or a church of England or the church, of, uh, uh, you'll find it's the same thing. And most people never think about it. No, most people never, never ever give it much thought. But when you go to a Baptist church, and this is true in, in, in every Baptist church, uh, the problem is they don't understand why they do it. But if you go to a Baptist church, you'll find that the pulpit is always in the middle. Now, there's a reason for that. <clears throat> 
And it's a reason it goes back so far that most Baptist churches today who, whose brain cells died a long time ago don't ever understand why they do it. But the reason why the pulpit is in the middle is because Baptists traditionally wanted, never wanted to be associated with those other groups. They wanted everybody to know that the pulpit is in the middle because the center of that church has to be around the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. That's why it's there. And in this church, I make no apology for it. Uh, it, it's, it uh, I have no other goal in my mind. I have no other goal in my life. Uh, I have no other goal uh, than to make sure that every Sunday and every Thursday or when you come over to talk with me or any time that we're in the Bible together that you get the truth of God's Word. You may not like what you hear, but it'll be the truth, what you need to hear. It may, it'll be the Scriptures. It'll be, you may like it, you may hate it, but it'll be the truth. Now, uh, and, and it has to be, you have to understand something. And, and I want you to listen to me for a few moments here. Of all the investments... We talk about making investments of who you marry and, and uh, you know, investment with your kids and uh, the investment that you put into ministry and all of that. And, and it's all crucial, making good investment, making good choices. I understand all that. But of all the investment that you make in your life, the single greatest investment, and this is what we're going to talk about today in verse 16, the single greatest investment of your life will be in the Word of God that God has given you. It'll be the greatest single investment of your life. The Bible is many things on many different levels. But the greatest attribute of the Word of God and you making an investment of your life in that book <coughs> will simply be, see, be the preserving hand of God in your life. It'll be the preserving hand of God for any country. I've taken you back many, many times in different aspects of, of history and showed you how that, that because a country honored the Word of God, they believed it. Now, there are no such thing as Christian nations. You understand that. There are only nations who uh, believe God and believe His Word, but that doesn't make them a Christian nation. There has never been a Christian nation. Israel was not a Christian nation. Israel was a monarchy based on God as their king. And Christianity today, there'll be no, there'll be no Christian nations because the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. But there will be nations who believe the Bible is what it was. Our nation was that when it was founded. And when a nation takes that position, you're going to find, as we see in our own nation up to about 100 years ago, the hand of God preserving that nation. You see it in families. The greatest investment of you making the Word of God, the investment of your life, the preserving hand of God uh, in your family is unbelievable. It'll be true in your own individual life. It'll be true of churches. No matter what you do, whatever God calls you to do in your life, when the single greatest investment of your life becomes the Word of God, when the single greatest thing that you invest your life in and you put and make the right decisions about is you learning the Word of God and getting the Word of God, the greatest single attribute that comes out of that after salvation and all this stuff, the greatest single thing that comes out of it is the bottom line is that God's hand of preservation. You must understand that. You must grab that. Now, I, I, I can't speak for any of you on what I'm about to say. I, I, I only speak for me, and I wouldn't presume to speak for you. So I want you to understand very carefully what I'm saying. I'm 63 years old. I love the little girl at the Hy-Vee last night when I wear and get something to eat because they have a senior citizen's discount and 
she made me show my ID to prove I was a senior citizen. I love that girl. I wanted to bring her home and adopt her. Most places just take it for granted. They just give it to me. I don't want it. But she said, are you a senior citizen? And I said, yes, I am. She said, well, I'm going to have to check your ID. I love that. But I'm 63 years old. I don't know if that makes me a senior citizen or not. I'm a citizen, and I don't feel very senior. And I've had my issues in life, just like everybody else has. I'm no different than you. Sometimes people look at a pastor and they think, well, he's above everything else. No, that's not true. I'm human, just like you are. I have struggles, just like you do. I've made my mistakes in life, just like you have. And that's why I'll never look down at anybody. I, I told him, I told him in, in people ministry yesterday, I never judge a man by his successes in life. I never do. I never judge a man by his successes. I always judge the measure of a man by how many times he's fallen down and still gets up. Amen. To me, that's the measure of a man. But, uh, you know, I'm no different than you. I'm just like everybody else. You know, I was saved when I got right with God when I was 20 years old. Most of you did about the same thing. You know, I started to do what was right. So did you. God put a man in my life just like God put me in many of your lives. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I got married when I was around 25 or so, just like some of you done. Uh, God called me and gave me a book. And, and at that point in time, God says, Bob, here's your pound. It's just that simple. God called me into the ministry. I don't deserve to be in the ministry. I don't deserve it any more than any of you deserve it. But he called me into the ministry. He gave it to me. And I've made my share of mistakes in ministry. I mean, I get up here and preach on things that other people do and things like that and, and lay out things. And, you know, but, hey, I've made my share of mistakes in the ministry just like anybody else. I've always tried to learn from my mistakes and the dumb things that I've done and try to better myself. But I'm no different than you. I had kids and raised a family. In every way, I'm just like you. But I must tell you something. At 63 years of age, having been down this road for a while now, I want to tell you, I am the most happy, fulfilled, content person that you'll ever meet on this planet. I will never let nothing get to me long term. We all don't like surprises in life, and we all get sucker punched every once in a while. It isn't, that's not going to, it's how you respond to that. God has given me in my life in spite of me, in spite of my stupidity. He has honestly given me the desires of my heart. And I'm totally satisfied and content. And I, I, there's nothing in the world that I want, nothing that I need, nothing that I aspire to have. Now you're looking at the guy who has, is the most content person on this planet. And a couple of reasons why, I mean, first of all, let me walk through these here with you. First of all, God's given me as a man the greatest church on the planet. If somebody called me up tomorrow and offered me a church of 2,000 people or 500 people and, and said, we'll give you a salary of $100,000 a week, you know, and give you all this and give you all that, I, 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 you could not entice me away from this place for all the money and all the people in the world because I, I, I'm content. Most pastors use churches as a ladder of success, of stepping up and going higher. I, I've never been into that game. I recognize what I have here, 
I recognize, you see, some of you don't look at it that way. I look at it that way. I look at the big picture. I look at every one of you as unique that God has brought in. You all have different backgrounds. You all have different personalities. You all don't like to do the same thing. You don't like to eat the same thing. You don't like the same movies. You don't like the same this. You don't like the same that. It isn't about that. God has given me the best church on the planet. And he's given me the best people. The majority of which the people God has brought in here, they understand what we're trying to do. They understand what my heart is in the ministry. And those people have invested their life and their families in this church just as I have. And my family has. Now, I, I say that. <clears throat> I fully understand. <clears throat> you, you always have people in any church that make absolutely no investment. Uh, we talked to one of them a couple weeks ago. They'll, they'll take everything, but they never give anything back. They never get any ministry. They never care about what goes on. Uh, they, it doesn't matter where you would go. If somebody said, Bob, you need to take a church of a thousand, one of the main reasons why I wouldn't do that is because you'd have a, a whole different higher level of people who don't want to do anything. You never get away from it. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect pastor. There is no perfect Christian. I gave up looking for a, build a perfect church and being a perfect pastor and, and looking for perfect Christians 25, 30 years ago. I decided just to find a real one. That's all I'm concerned about. And I have some real people. I really do. And I try to be a real pastor. I really do. People don't always like what I have to do or like what I have to say. But you know what? They didn't like what Paul had to say either. One time he got so frustrated, he says, why do you make me your enemy just because I tell you the truth? And, and, and that's just the way it has to be. But you're always going to have people in any church that make absolutely no investment. They're in, and then they're out. Sometimes they're in or out, they're in or out, they're in or out, but they're in and they're out. There's no real investment, be, uh, there's no real commitment because there's no real investment. How many times in the course of my 45 years they have some tragedy in their life? A death a sickness, a divorce. They're in the hospital with some terribly sick disease. And oh, how they need you then. But after the storm is over, they just look and get a better deal. Now, I never focus on that. Some of you do. And the reason why you do is because you're not content. Now, I got a point to all this, so just allow me to, to and you don't have to get so stoic this morning. I mean, you can smile and, you know, and I, if I think of a good joke right now, I, I tell you one, but I missed Joel Olstein this morning, so I didn't get a chance to get one. I never focus on that. Some of you do. I never do. There'll always be people in any church that will never make any investment in anything but themselves. But you see, I know what God has given me here. I can see what God is doing here and the impact this church has and continues to have. And I understand that God will preserve and take care of this church for one reason. And it's one reason only. 
And it isn't the pastor. It isn't the fact that you're good people. There's only one reason that the preserving hand of God will take care of this church no matter who likes it and who doesn't. It's the book. If you don't leave here with any other thing today, leave here with this. God honors his word. And when you make this book the number one investment in your life above all other investments, the preserving hand of God will take care of you because God will always honor his word. Now, I got to tell you something else. Verse 16 says, length of days in your right hand and and, in left hand, riches and honor. I'm the most content person and satisfied man you'll ever find on this planet. And I, and I thank God for the family God's given me. I really do. I, I can't speak for you this morning. I'm not trying to speak for you this morning. I'm trying to make my point here. The Word of God has preserved my hand. Hey, I've been in ministries all down my life and seen churches all my life where the pastor's kids were like the black as a side of the bottomless pit. Most of them, uh, there's pastors I've been associated with down through, uh, down through my years. Their kids don't go to church anywhere. They're out of church. They saw the phoniness of what their dad was doing. Maybe they couldn't see it at the time, but they look back on it. They want nothing to do with it. And most of those pastors never believed this book one day in their life. And the difference is simply in your family is when you make the investment of this book, number one in your life, God preserves your family. My family's not perfect. I've had to kick them in the rear end more than once. I'm not perfect. They've had to kick me in the rear end more than once. But I'm telling you, when you make the investment, we've had our issues in our family just like any other family. We're no different. People tend to think, well, Bob's family is, you know, without it. No, we're, no, we're not. We're not. We're not at all. We've had our struggles. We've had our issues. Next time you come over to the house, come on in. I'll show you the hole I kicked in the bathroom door about 35 years ago. I never fixed the door, so I always remember what an ass I was that day. <laughs> say, well, I don't like the word ass. Well, stick around. You're going to like it less before I get through this morning. <laughs> God will preserve your family. Now, those of you who know me, you know one thing about me, whether it's good or it's bad. There's one thing about me. I never do anything halfway. I'm either all in or I'm all out. I never have to, you know, I've seen some people when they've been out and buy a car, it took them nine weeks just to decide if they should buy it or not. Not me. I see it, buy it. I'm in or I'm out. Nah, I don't like it. I like it. And I've always been that way in my life. And for me, when it came to the book, when I got the book, the book was everything. And I'm in. I'm in. I can't speak for you this morning. I believe this book more than I believe anything else on planet Earth this morning. And for me, I got to the place where In this world, nothing could compare with the book that God gave me. Hey, I could go home to heaven tomorrow and be the happiest man alive. I I, I thank God for 
the really good close friends that God has given me. You know, I tell you all the time that there's not very many people you can trust in life, and that's a true statement. And some of you know that by being burned. And that is a true statement. But I got to tell you, if friends or money, I'm the richest man in the world today. Because I do have friends that I know I can trust. And I think that I've got more than most pastors ever had in their life. And, and I, I don't believe that just because of my shining, wonderful, dogmatic personality. Though, probably has a lot to do with it. It's because of a book that God gave us. It's because you love it as much as I do. It's because you put up with me and my stupidity because of the book, much like I put up with your stupidity because of the book. But at the end of the day, there's a spirit, there's a common ground that pulls us together that not only preserves your family and preserves our church, but preserves our friendship. I'm thankful for those things. But I'm not foolish in my thankfulness. I know those things go back because of a book that God gave me. And the quicker you learn that, the quicker and the better off you're going to be. I tell my young couples, and I tell you, there's no greater blessing and comfort or satisfying feeling in the world than your family ministering by your side. And right now, uh, I, see, I see many of you uh, getting that concept down with your kids. Many of you. And I'm telling you, God will always honor his word. But I want you to know, just because, you know, you're trying to do that, don't get discouraged if your kids are like wild Indians sometimes. Preservation never means problem-free. I don't know where we got the idea that we thought if a guy is really a Christian or a really Christian family, that the kids would just grow up perfect. And a lot of them do, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them have struggles. And we can't, you never judge one family by another family. You always look beyond that and see what the, what the real attitude is toward, hey, I look at that book. I told you, well, I guess it was Thursday night. I told you when God preserved this book, God preserved this book through some of the most tumultuous times on planet, this planet Earth. It went through the dark ages. It went through the persecution of the church. They hated it. They tried. They, they made it a, a, a capital offense for a Christian to have this book. They killed them by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions. They tried to stamp out this book. But God just didn't preserve his book and put it down here, and then the Bible just walked its way through life with everybody loving it. It was the most horrendous time on the history of this world, all because God's preservation never means problem-free. You'll have some problems in life. I've had problems in life. It's how do you come out of those problems that make the difference. That's the difference. Now, I'm thankful for what the people, for God putting me in the ministry. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know anything else I do better than what I do. And, and I thank God every day of my life for putting me in the ministry. I know I don't deserve it. I know I don't belong to be here. I know that God obviously saw something in me that I never saw in myself, but I'm thankful for what God has given me in my love for people. My life is people. My, my life is people because the ministry is people. We, my, my, my goal in life is not to build a big building, obviously. You all are sitting right now where one time 1932 Ford and Studebakers were parked. You're leaning up against the wall where somebody's antique mall was. 
I'm not interested in cathedrals. I'm not interested in building big buildings to the monument of man. I'm interested in building people to the glory of God. And you don't need a building to do that. All you need is a book to do that. And I'm I'm thankful that God allowed me to see that. I I don't know why he did. I I, I don't know why I I, I got it and the next guy didn't. I don't know why we're not in a $60 million building, dollar building program and I'm squeezing you every dime because I'm telling you that we build a big building better than the building up here and better than First Baptist and better than this one and better than that one and better than this one. Then people will come to us because we're bigger than better. And you know, you know what happens? Somebody else just builds one bigger than better. So then you got to put on an addition to be bigger and better than the other bigger and better. I thank God God saved me from that. I, I don't know why he did. But I'm thankful today. I'm thankful God didn't give me a big building. God gave me a really big book. I I think the success of ministry, and I say this to you, I think the success of ministry ministry is to stay focused on your task of building people. And that's always been my goal. I've never had any other goal. And there will always be issues that, that the devil will bring in to get you off task. It doesn't matter if you're pastoring a church or you're trying to be discipled or you're trying to be in a people ministry. You're just trying to do what's right. The devil will always bring things to get you off task. This is why I've told you, and this is the basic fundamental reason why I can tell you, I, I, I never take anything personal. I never do. My family takes things much more personal for me than I do. My friends do sometimes, but I don't. You see, after 45 years of seeing all this stuff, you pretty much have seen it all. I would hope that somewhere along the line, just by rubbing shoulders with the Word of God a few times, that some wisdom and understanding would, would brush off on me. But after 45 years and see what I've seen, there's not a lot of surprises left. I've learned that it's never what man's doing. It's always what God is doing. And some of God's people get pulled off tax so easily. Every little shudder of wind, every little issue, you just fold up and blow away and lose your focus off task. I've learned that 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 comes, and there's a value in that. I I told you Thursday night, I think it was, in Judges chapter 3, verse 1, Israel just comes through the great battles in Joshua. They're fighting nations on the northern flank and the southern flank. They're they're struggling all through to fight through this thing. And finally, when they break out and they get over to Jordan, and now they're in the land that God promised them, uh, they're in the judges, and they're starting to set up the monarchy that God wanted them to have, and they're getting them solidified. There it is in chapter 3, verse 1. God clearly tells you that he, he didn't take away all the nations, did he? It says that he, he left some other nations around that they'd have to fight. And the reason why he did that, he tells you in the verse, because he wanted to prove Israel by these nations. There's never going to be a time in your life you don't have to deal with some issue never going to be a time in your life you don't have to deal with some struggle. There's never going to be a time in your life when, when somebody is not going, to, not going to hurt you or talk about you or say something about you or, or, or some situation. You know what? And God leaves those things in your life to prove you. 
He'll let your job get a little shaky. He'll let your relationships get a little shaky. He'll put somebody in your life that will, that will rattle your cage. You know why he does that? He does that to see if you're going to cut or run or you're going to stay with the stuff. He proved you by it. He proved you by it. It's just that simple. Some of you develop attitudes toward other Christians. Yeah, you do. You harbor resentment. You get angry at them. Sometimes it even goes into hatred in your hearts toward them. Hey, I understand. Some of you, you're not careful. It get, you, you, you get bitter toward them. And bitterness is a terrible thing. Bitterness is a lot like you drinking poison and thinking it's going to kill your enemy. Did you get that one? I understand. I'm glad God didn't really reveal to me the aspect of ministry to way after I was in it over my head because if I'd have seen all this thing, I'm not sure I would have got in it just for being, a, a, you know, being weak and being afraid. But I understand. I watched some of you try to help people. I understand. I've watched some of you help people through a time of need. I've watched you take their tragedy and make it your tragedy. I've watched you invest your life with them. I've watched you go through some great tragedy unfolding in their lives. And here you are today and somewhere along the line when they got feeling better, they just threw you under the bus, didn't they? And if you're not careful, it pulls you off task. Let me ask you a question. Who are you working for? Who are you doing this for? You're doing it for yourself? Is it for your honor and glory or for God's honor and glory? Amen. Who are you working for? Why would you take something like that and, and when it unfolds in your life and let it pull you off task? I remember back there in 1 Samuel, in chapter 8, when Samuel's all excited because of the fact that, that uh, he, 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 he tells Israel that God's going to give him a king. And they flatly reject it. They say, we don't want a king that God gives us. We want to be like all the other nations. He says, hey, you're not supposed to be like all the other nations. They said, we don't care. Give us a king that we want and we don't want the one you've got. Well, how many times have somebody dumped on you like that? So Samuel, he's human. He might be a prophet of God, but the same red blood runs through his veins, runs through ours. He got discouraged. He's moping around in his house over there and God comes down and he says, well, what are you moping about? And he says, well, he says, you know what? I went to them and I gave them the truth and I've been through all kinds of things with them and I've tried to help them and I've been there in their iron need and when they whine and complain, I always helped them and I went down there and told them about the about king that you wanted to give them and they just flat rejected me and I'm just bops upset about it. He says, well, you sniveling snot punk, what are you? They didn't reject you. They rejected me. Sometimes if you're not careful and make this book the number one investment in your life, their rejection of God, you take it like as a rejection of you. I'm not going through life that way. <laughs> not after all God's given me, man. woo What a life. You see, I expect you to lie to me. It's okay. 
I expect you to try to deceive me. Go behind my back. I expect you to use me in this church to take from us and then walk out the door. It doesn't bother me because it's not my church. It's his church. It's his ministry. I don't take it personal. Psalms 119, 165, if you don't have it marked down, you better get it. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Some of you develop bad attitude toward those people. I don't have that luxury. I don't have the luxury to develop a bad attitude about those kinds of people. And really, neither do you. That will definitely sidetrack you and get you off your assigned task. And that's exactly what the devil designed it to do. But all this is not about me or you. This is not your work or my work, even though we're responsible for it. This is not your work, your church or my church, even though I'm the pastor and here it is. We pay the bills, but it's God's. If you think for a moment, I'll let some snot-nosed, whiny, baby, self-centered Christian take that book and what I have, the joy, the happiness, the contentment from me because you're an idiot. Listen, folks, I can't speak for you. I'm speaking for me. I got it. I really do. After what God took for me on the cross and all the abuse that he took, the lies that he had to sustain, the ridicule that was dumped on him, the harshness, the betrayal, the deceit, all of his friends forsaken him, that he went there and did that for me. When I understand all of that, and I realize it ain't about me and it ain't about you, but it's about the truth that God has given us to preach, I don't take it personal. I count it as an honor and a privilege to be used and abused for his cause by God's people. Why Hebrews chapter 13 says that you and I are to bear his reproach and the shame without the camp. I don't know what to tell you. God's people will be wherever you go, whatever you do, you're not going to change it. It is set in stone. It's the way it is. They did it to him, and they'll do it to you. But did he ever, did he ever lose his focus? All the way to the end he went, all the way to the cross, and in the midst of everybody doing what they did to him, saying about him, he never lost sight, and his statement is, I am about my father's business. It's never with him was about who did what to him or who said what about him or who forsook him. And they all did. He had 12 apostles who were the closest at him of anybody. 12 apostles. One of them was a rank betrayal. One of them was a satanic implant that had by design to betray him. Did it work? Where did he wind up versus where God's son, the one he wanted to betray, wound up? All the rest of them, his apostles, the inner three, Peter, he's there with a beer in one hand, cussing him out at the fire. I'm not a part of that blankety-blank guy. James, running off naked down the road when they tried to catch him. All the rest of them forsook him when they saw that his back was against the wall, 
when they saw what was going to happen to them, that was going to happen to him, every one of them left him. Every one of them. Every one of them except John. One out of 12. Now, when after the resurrection, when they all got back together again, did they have a grudge against them? Did he develop a bad attitude because they forsook him in his hour of need after all that he had done for him? Did he really? You see, it's the book, folks. When you make your investment in that book in your life, then all that matters is what you get done for him, not what people do to you. But I understand. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. What a great prophetic chapter that is. It's a prophetic chapter of somebody coming up and asking the Lord a question. And in Zechariah 13, 6, somebody comes up and says, What are these wounds in thy hands? And he says, These are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Your friends wounding you is always tougher than the world wounding you. People you give your life to, you go through great trials with them, great tragedies, some death, something that, that, that you walk them through, and they turn around and they, they, they throw you under the bus. Those are the worst kind in the world, and if you don't have your anchor holding in that book, it's going to pull you off task. It's going to pull you off task. Now, I'm no fool. I take all that I just said and go right back to the source of it all. God honors his word. Never losing your goal, never losing your purpose, never losing your perspective, never letting people uh, uh, who don't do right pull you off task. It's that book. Out all your investment in one single book. You see, in the world, when you make investments, they want you to diversify. Now, diversify means that you don't put all your money in one stock. You spread it around so if one stock goes down, you still make some money or you don't lose it all. When it comes to Christianity, you got you know diversity. You put it all in this book. Amen. This is all you got. The, the wisdom, which is silver, redemption. The understanding, which is gold, God's knowledge, and the ability to see it as it really is, not as it appears by the counterfeit and the deception. The source of, and I can't speak for you this morning. The source of my contentment and satisfaction in the midst of this putrid Christianity and all the games that go on is simply a book that God gave me that I had the sense enough and thank God for it in my stupidity to make it the number one investment in my life. And I stand before you this morning, no matter what happens, no matter what, no matter, it doesn't matter to me, I will never get pulled off task because I'll never let those things get inside because you'll never take what God gave me no matter what you do to me. The Word of God. It's better than all the things of this world that you can compare it to. And when you make that investment in the Word of God in your life, the preserving hand of God will be in every aspect and everything that you do. You see, pastors make a fatal mistake. They put their trust in people. And people make a, a fatal mistake. They put their trust in a pastor. When the truth of the matter is we... We put our trust in the Word of God. 
We don't build our relationships around the Word of God. We build our relationship through the Word of God, and those are the ones that last. But you've got to have one to do that. The source of your peace, the source of your rest, the source of your contentment and happiness will simply be what God has given you from that relationship that you have with Him through His Word, not people. And nothing else will ever matter. People will come and go. They always have. They always will. People will come and go. But the book stays. And that's the key. Those who love the book will stay. Those who don't care about it won't stay. It's okay. Now, I say all that based on what I'm about to say in verse 16. That's my personal take on the Bible and ministry. And again, I can't speak for you, but I wanted to give you an understanding where I come from before I, I show you the real source of it, because this is a great verse. Now, I say in verse 16, it says, length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand, riches and honor. Now, you know what that is? Do you know what you got there? That's your open Bible. That's you holding your Bible open with your right hand and your left hand. Because there is the truth. There is everything that you need. That's why this church will always preach the Bible. The ones that love it will stay. The ones who don't love it will leave. Life is so simple. Your open Bible in your lap, clasped by your right hand and your left hand, will be the single source of God's preserving hand through wisdom and understanding. He says, in your left hand and your right hand, and your left hand, left hand, length of days in your right hand, and in left hand, riches and honor. I told you when I laid out Proverbs chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, another great verse. It says, when wisdom entereth into, this, into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, when you love that book above all else, then it says, discretion shall preserve thee, and understanding shall keep thee. In your left hand and in your right hand. It's how you open up that book and hold it when you read it. It's the only way God gives you the truth that's in his word. This is where the rest, the peace, the contentment, the joy, the fulfillment comes from everything in life, from a book that is bigger and better than anything or any person on this planet. Make your investment there, and you'll have length of days. You'll have the fulfillment of God's plan in your life, the unbroken chain in your man, family of ministry. You'll have, in your, in, your, in your other hand, riches and honor, the contentment of God in your life, and all the sufficiency in all things, the true riches, not the fool's gold. Now look at verse 17. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. We as God's people should solve problems, not cause problems. It's the mark of spiritual maturity. There will always be issues that come up in any scenario, situation. People in understanding based on the relationship with the Bible will always seek to resolve those problems, not inflame them, not keep them going. Romans 12, 18 says, and Romans 12 is the great chapter on Christians' relationship with other people, you'll remember. It says, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Now he says, if it be possible, 
That's a great statement in that verse because if you've been around very long and dealing with people in the ministry, sometimes that's not possible. There will be occasions when somebody wants a problem not to be fixed. You'll come across that. There will be occasions when somebody wants a problem to stay a problem. They don't want it to get fixed. And the reason why they don't want it to get fixed is so they need to have a reason, you see, to justify their deception and their counterfeit. They have to have a reason to justify what they really want to do. Now, you know and I know, and I don't think it's any great revelation to anybody today, there's always a, there's a biblical process to solve every issue. Would you not agree? Amen. Then why don't we do it? You see, when a, this is 101. When a person won't do that, when a person won't use the Bible and what they know to solve a problem, then there's always a counterfeit and a deception behind that. And the reason is simple. I've seen people pretend there was an issue when there never was an issue. All my life I've had people make up Trump problems that were never there. And the reason why they had those problems, wanted to make those up, is because they used that as the tipping point of what they really wanted to do. Well, I'm not going to be there anymore because of this. When you investigate it, this wasn't even there. All my life, I found dishonest people, Christians. You say, you think there's dishonest, unsaved people? I don't know. I can't wade through all the dishonest Christians to get to them. I've seen them lie about an issue that was never really there. Pretending there's an issue when there really isn't an issue. And it's because of the fact that we got to have a problem. You find a Christian, if, it, if it's anybody sitting in this room, anybody you meet in life, <clears throat> you find a Christian who says, here's an issue, but they won't solve that issue, you got a deception going. There's something wrong because there's a clear biblical process. And I didn't see anybody's name excluding them from it. It has to work for me, has to work for you. Now, what he's saying is a simple rule to follow here with people in situations. He says, you live it peaceably with all men the best you can. You do the best you can, but you'll find in some situations that you can't. So just make sure that you do biblically what's right, even if they don't. And if you get used in the practice, if you get abused in the practice, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, my job as your job. There's no difference between us. I'm not a pastor, so, and I, because I am, I have to do all the principles, and you're not a pastor, so you can pick and choose the ones you want to do. My job is to do what's right. Your job is to do what's right. It's God's job to deal with them. It's God's job to figure out where they're at. Because if you don't, it'll pull you off task because you'll develop a bad attitude every time. There have been times in my life, and there'll be times in yours, 
when you've helped people through the toughest times of their life, some tragic times in their life, at some point uh, down later on down the line when they get feeling better and the crisis is over, you know, they just get a better deal. And in those cases, you just let it go. You look back and you know that you did what God wanted you to do. You don't focus on the fact that they hose you. You don't focus on the fact that you put out all this energy and they, did, they just stuck you in the eye with a sharp stick. You don't go there. You simply don't take it personal. You simply realize that they did it to him. They're going to do it to you. Encounter and wear it as a badge of honor that you're bearing his reproach. Just always make sure you're able to look back and say, I did everything I should have done. Look at verse 18. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold on her. Happy is everyone that retaineth her. Now you remember that the her here is wisdom and understanding. And now it's likened to the tree of life. Now in the Bible, the tree of life is a great study. It's found in Genesis chapter 3 and again in Revelation chapter 22. And you'll note verse 18 doesn't say that you will be a tree of life, got to read it correctly, but rather the wisdom and understanding you get will be the tree of life. In Revelation chapter 22, when you begin to lay it out and study it, and we're not going to do that this morning, that's not our purpose, but just to give you a short synopsis of it, in Revelation chapter 22, you'll find the tree of life bearing 12 manner of fruit. And if you read a little bit on there, it'll tell you that that fruit is used at that particular point in the healing of the nations after the destruction of the second coming of Christ. Now, we know that that's the, that's the doctrinal application, but there's a spiritual application to it. When you get God's wisdom and understanding, when I get God's wisdom and understanding, <clears throat> and you get that silver and gold, <clears throat> and that silver and gold begins to bear fruit, that fruit of the Holy Spirit of God that God gives you and the wisdom and the understanding God gives you will be for the healing of people. It'll be for the healing of problems. It'll be for the healing of issues. The greatest aspect that you don't have, the wisdom and understanding, is not taking the fruit of that and helping heal scenarios. You just continue to hurt them. You fan the fire. You keep it going. You won't do what biblically you need to do to put an end to it. You have a deception and you have a counterfeit going and the truth can't be anywhere within 100 miles proximity of it for you to pull it off. That's how you effectively minister. You get into the book. You make it the number one thing in your life. You invest everything you have and everything you are in the book that God gave you. That is your main investment. You don't diversify. You put everything you got in a book. You put everything in that book, and that book becomes the source of everything in your life. God gives you his wisdom. God gives you his understanding. Now, the wisdom and understanding is like that tree of life. And as the tree of life bore 12 manners of fruit that healed the nations, you bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God that heal people. Situations circumstances, issues. The mark of a true mature child of God is someone who understands that. The mark of a true mature child of God is someone that does that every day of their life. 
I don't hold myself to any standard any higher than I hold you. We don't have the luxury not to do what's right. We who claim to believe the Bible and claim to love the Bible, we don't have the luxury to do whatever we want to do. We don't have the luxury to develop bad attitudes toward people. We don't have the luxury to write them off. They may write us off and they may, sh- they may do everything despicable and just take everything you got and everything and throw you under the bus so fast you don't know what hit you. You know what? That's between them and God. You do what you are supposed to do as a child of God and keep your emotions out of it. Now, he says, she is a tree of life to them that lay hold on her. Happy is everyone that retaineth her. Now, I've read a few commentaries on Proverbs in that particular verse, and a lot of people want to take and use that. You can lose your salvation. They take the thing there that you, you make sure you retain it. Well, of course, any third grader can realize that the retaining year has nothing to do with salvation. The retaining year has to do with wisdom and understanding. But I don't want to ruin their day. What he's saying here is this. Happy is everyone that retaineth her. When you get wisdom and understanding, keep it. Don't trade it for anything. Don't trade it for anything. When you get it and you begin to get the Bible down, don't let some bozo come into your life and trade you out of it. Don't let some girl trade you out of it. Don't let some rotten, snotty-nosed Christian that's got an attitude toward God and the Word of God pull you aside and pull you off task and let them trade you out of it. Smarter than the problem. Smarter than the problem. Use the principles involved to see what you're dealing with. Let the x-ray machine, like the airport when you go through, find out if they got any bombs on them or contraband. When you really get it, this new life and the wisdom and understanding that it brings, it will only lead to the completeness, the happiness, the contentment of a life based on the promises that God gave you. Don't trade it away. Don't let anything, anybody, if you're going to get into ministry, if you're going to work with people, it'll be the number one source of thing you've got to fight all your life because people, you'll get your emotions involved. They won't do what's right. You'll feel betrayed. You'll feel hurt. And the next thing you know, you're just like they are. You're off task. You can't go there. Now, what follows in verse 19 and 20? is a passage on the power of God you get when you get wisdom and understanding. I think this is pretty neat here. He says, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down to dew. Now there's two great things here. First, if you want to get the insight on God's creation, and we're not going to get into this a lot today because it's not our point, but if you want to get to the insight on God's creation, then you get his wisdom and understanding on it. And a key book for that will be Job, not Genesis. You see, Genesis may be the first book in your Bible, but Job is the oldest book in your Bible. And Job's going to have all the details and all the understanding and all the wisdom about God's creation. Moses wrote Genesis, 
probably way, 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 way after the fact, probably about 2500 B.C. But Job wrote, Job is written around 18, Genesis 18 or 19, way before Moses was ever born. And so you're going to get it. You're going to get it in Job. Now, the second thing, this is my, this is my point, and this is the best yet. This passage on creation illustrates how powerful God's wisdom and God's understanding really is. I know you don't know it today. Some of you may. It's hard to comprehend, I agree. But you have inside you today, in, in that book that you've invested your life with, when you do invest it, to get God's wisdom and understanding, you have the exact same power that God had when he created everything in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now, if you have the wisdom and the power that God had to create everything in Genesis 1, why can't you get past your little problems today? Well, this is a stark point here. Psalms 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And all of the same word that you got in your lap, right hand and left hand, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let his inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Amen. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood still. But God, when he created it all, literally spoke the universe into existence with the same word of God that you hold in your left hand and your right hand today. The power of his word. Is that awesome? John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, one little verse in Job here that, 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 that shows you this, in a, I think probably in a great magnitude, Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 7, is creation morning. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by word without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched a line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shut up with What a day that must have been. What an incredible creation morning that that must have been. The power of Almighty God, the Word of God, speaking the universes into existence. And yet that same power is in you and me to, all that, to do all that God wants you to do. You know, the great untapped resources that we have in us through the power of the Word of God living in us. You know, I... I I've been in the Bible way too long. I, I look at everything and, and try to find some spiritual application to it. And, and fortunately, most times I find it. I've always been intrigued with telephone poles. Wooden telephone poles. They're always in the shape of a cross and there's tremendous power on that pole. And I don't drive down the street that I don't see the old-fashioned wooden telephone pole that I don't think about power on a pole. Now, you probably already know this, but you don't run a line off your telephone pole, power on a pole, into your house. 
if you did that and ran it straight in and then turned everything on in your fuse box, your house would explode and blow up and burn to the ground because that raw power off there is too much for your, your appliances and everything in life to hold. You know, if you look in your backyard, you'll probably find one of the little green boxes. Or if you don't have one of those, you'll go down to the, where the nearest pole is with a line coming in, you'll find one of those big old round things. They're called transformers. And what a transformer does is take raw power off the pole and transform it into workable power in your house. And in a Christian sense, that raw power of God that's in you right now, the day you have got saved, that has to go through a transformer. And that transformer is Jesus Christ. In your life, you take God's power off the pole in the raw, and it gets transformed in you and through you that you can accomplish all things for him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body the living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. You see, God takes that raw power that God created all with, and when you build a relationship with the Word of God and Jesus Christ, then he transforms that power from the raw power, puts it into your body and your ability then to do it. Just like it runs everything in your house, it'll run everything in your life to do what God wants you to do. It's just that simple. One more thing and I'm done. In America, we have an energy crisis. In some parts of this country, gas is almost $5 a gallon. It's been almost $4 here at times. It goes up and down based on the market and what a barrel of oil costs. And in America, we've made a tragic mistake, I think. I've written the president seven time, several times and never got an answer. He doesn't listen to me. But we've made a terrible mistake by developing a dependency on foreign oil. Because our foreign oil we get, for the most part, is from countries who like our money but hate us. And one of the great weapons that they have to use against us, they just haven't played the card yet, is to simply shut off our oil. That's why we have a fleet out in the Persian Gulf. That's why we protect the Suez Canal. Because not only is it a, a waterway that all kinds of shipping go through, but it is a waterway where we get our oil from. But we don't do that. And yet when you look at the facts, America has more underground oil on this continent and offshore than all the Middle East nations combined. But because of bad government, because of liberals in the government, tree huggers, and the deceptive motive, motives, we, we won't use what we have, but we become dependent on foreign oil. And sooner or later, when push comes to shove with Israel, it will mark it down. It will be to our destruction. And yet I see and ask the question, why do so many of you who have the power of Almighty God's Holy Spirit right under the surface, why do you allow yourself to be dependent on foreign oil? Why do you allow the things of this world to be your dependence? Why don't you just dig and cultivate right where you're at? You have everything you need to be everything God wants you to be and to accomplish everything that God wants you to accomplish. 
but we as God's people will never tap into it and will become dependent on other things just like America and her oil crisis will be dependent on other nations and in both cases it will lead to your destruction. It's the book, my friend. It's the book. It's the Word of God. God always honors His Word at the end of the day when all the alibis and all the excuses and all the blame games have been played. The Word of God is what will always separate the real from the phony. It's the wisdom of God and the understanding of God through the building of an investment in a relationship with the greatest book this world has ever seen. Because this book here has riches and honor in your left hand and glory in your right hand. This open book will be the source of everything that you need the rest of your life. I can't speak for you today. I can only speak for me. I believe what it is. I believe what it is, and when you put it into your life, the preserving hand of God will come down and preserve every facet of your life, your family, our ministry, this church, and what we have here. People come and go. The book stays. And it's so easy to get sidetracked with this and with that and lose sight of the fact that it never really matters. All that matters today is only one thing. It's not really who's here and who isn't because that was their own conscious choice. The only thing that matters today, do we have the book? Everything else will take care of itself. Every head bowed and every eye closed.